So we have been focusing on a key statement as Sam was praying that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill everything that you read in your Old or your Hebrew scriptures, your Old Testament. Basically, Jesus was born to die. If he were to fulfill that which was written of him in the Hebrew scriptures, he literally was born so that he could lay his life down. The Old Testament tells us that. The New Testament amplifies it. They both explain it and they explain it clearly. And yet, many are not clear on this issue. And so we're taking time to examine and answer the question, why did Jesus die? It is the very centerpiece of God's word. Genesis chapter 3 introduces us to the fall, when there was rebellion, when God was disobeyed. Romans chapter 5 expands upon this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. This right here is the focus of why Jesus died. Sin brings us under the righteous wrath of God and death never belonged in his perfect creation. A key statement that we've seen in the book of Leviticus is this. The life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Today and next week we'll take a look at the blood sacrifices for atonement all throughout the Old Testament. Remember in Genesis, there is blood shed for one person or one couple. In the second book of the Bible, Passover, Exodus, there is blood shed for one home. Leviticus, your third book in the Bible, there is blood shed on the Day of Atonement for one Nation, The Old Testament expands this idea of blood sacrifice and it all culminates in the glorious explanation, uh, exclamation when John the Baptist saw Jesus. Behold, look, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this morning, let's go back. Let's go back right to the heart of Jewish worship. Right into the tabernacle or the temple. Into the most sacred place. Entered by the high priest only one time every year on the Day of Atonement. And we're going to look at one item there called the Ark of the Covenant. The ark was a sacred item. 
and was most often in the Holy of Holies. So let's read his description. I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Version. This is Exodus chapter 25, if you care to join me. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus is the second book in your Bible. And it will begin in verse 10. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long. A cubit was about 18 inches. One and a half cubits wide and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay the ark with pure gold. Overlay it inside and out. And you shall make a gold border around the top. You shall cast four gold rings for it and attach them to the four feet, two rings on either side. You shall make carrying poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and put the poles through the rings on the side of the ark by which to carry it. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be removed from it. Implication, so the ark would not need to be touched. You shall put into the ark the testimony, the, the, the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, which I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat or a cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of solid gold at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at each end making the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing each other. The faces of the cherubim are to be looking downward toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and In the ark, you shall put the testimony which I will give you, the Ten Commandments. There I will meet you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you regarding every commandment that I will give you for The Israelites. So the Ark of the Covenant is holy. It is set apart. It is sacred. Because that literally is where God himself would meet with the priest or with the people. Because God was there. It is holy. It is set apart. So you have this Ark or like a chest. You have rings on either side so a pole could go through so that people could carry it when necessary without actually touching it themselves. That will become important in just a little bit. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, we are told that they were to place the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses. And as we see elsewhere, there were other items as well. So, 
Let's take a look at what is inside the Ark of the Covenant. Because all of this will tie into, ultimately, our question, why did Jesus die? So the first, the first item or items that you have listed in the Ark of the Covenant are the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. Now, why are those Ten Commandments significant? Why do they have them in the Ark of the Covenant? Remember, the law, the Ten Commandments, the law is the basis of the covenant or the promise that God would make with the Israelites. It was very conditional. It was performance-based. If you obey, if you honor me, if you worship me, If you actually and truly love your neighbor, I will bless you in ways that you could never, ever even fathom. However, if you turn aside, if you ignore, if you forget, if you disregard, if you dishonor me, my way, my truth. Well, that chapter in Deuteronomy is filled with curse upon curse upon curse. So inside the Ark of the Covenant lies the straight edge of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, we know from elsewhere that there were also other items that were inside the Ark of the Covenant. The second item was a golden urn or container that contained manna. Now you ask the question, what is manna? That's actually a good question because the word itself means, are you ready? Hebrew lesson, what is this? Recall the Israelites were in the wilderness. Remember the wilderness. They were wandering. They had dishonored God. And so a very simple journey took well over a generation. But in the wilderness, in the point of their dishonoring God, was God's provision. God took care of them. God met their needs. God made provision. Bread from heaven came down and the needs of the Israelites were met day after day. The third item is a little unique is Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron had a rod. You might recall Aaron is Moses' brother. There was a rebellion at Korah. The people did not like Aaron. They did not think that he should be the one in charge, if you will, along with Moses. And so God required the leaders of each of the 12 tribes to bring their staff, their walking staff or their rod, and lay it down. The next day, Aaron's rod not only budded, but it had sprouted almond leaves. Essentially, that dead stick 
came to life. You might want to keep that in, the, in your back pocket as well. So inside the Ark of the Covenant, there was also the, the rod of Aaron as a perpetual reminder that Aaron is the one, Aaron's tribe, the Levites, they are the ones to administer the blood sacrifices. Blood sacrifices matter, and they are the ones set aside to do it. So those are the three items that we would often find inside the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments, manna, and Aaron's rod that had budded. Now let's kind of look outside of this Ark. As we read, on either side of the Ark, or either end, there was a cherub, cherubim. Angelic beings. If you recall, back in the fall, when Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, out of the garden of God, cherubim were placed with flaming swords to administrate God's justice, to ensure that they did not come back from whence They had left. We know that angels are in the presence of God, worshiping and declaring his majesty and his holiness and his glory. Remember Isaiah chapter 6. And then... There was the cover, maybe a lid, if you will. That's called the mercy seat. That which was on top and covered the top, the items on the inside, that is called the mercy seat. That is the place that God specifies that he would meet with the people. Now, my contention, and every Christian pastor since the time of Jesus, is that the Hebrew scriptures ultimately point to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all about foreshadowing what is to come, who is to come, what he would do, and why he would do it. So now I'd like to go back and walk through those five specific items that we just referenced and speak to them in terms of a gospel application. Because what may not have been clear to them then is now more clear to us now. And remember, the Ark of the Covenant, this is the heart of of Jewish worship. It is in the heart of the worship itself, in the Holy of Holies, that sacred place where common people simply did not ever go. And the high priest only on the Day of Atonement. So let's go back And talk about those two stone tablets. The law. The Ten Commandments. 
What do we know from the New Testament that the law does on our behalf? Or what is the effect of the law when we consider our own actions? The law tells us clearly that we are not perfect. The law, the perfect law of God, the truth of God, the straight edge, it compels us to look to the Savior because the law, when we look at God's law and when we're honest with ourselves, we realize that we fall short of God's straight edge. That is a very serious matter because God is holy. The more I look at the Ten Commandments, the more I consider them, the more I reflect upon them, I am convinced more and more deeply that I cannot keep them. I fall short. But next to the tablets was the manna, the bread, the provision for God's people in the wilderness. Jesus said, I am the bread of life who comes down from heaven. That's Jesus' words. You might know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the meaning of the word Bethlehem is house of bread. So juxtaposed to the the straight edge of God, the Ten Commandments, is the bread of life who comes down from heaven, who is God's provision for us. The bread of life born in the house of bread to be our Or God's provision for us. Aaron's rod that budded. When you go back to the bread of life, what did the bread of life do? The bread of life laid down his life. The bread of life suffered and the bread of life died. But scripture informs us, both Old and New Testament, that he did not remain dead because death has no jurisdiction over the author of life. And so next to the manna, the bread of life, if you will, in the Ark of the Covenant, well, look at that. You have a dead stick that's now alive. Look to the top. Saints, this is so important. The cherubim uphold the justice of God. At the very beginning of your Bible, they are stationed at the edge of the Garden of Eden so that people who were banished from the Garden would not return to the Garden. They are ever ready. They are ministers. 
They are ever ready to carry out that which God calls them to do. And saints, the holiness of God demands and requires that sin be atoned for. But the mercy seat. There's something I did not tell you about the mercy seat. On the day of atonement, the priest himself, being full well knowledgeable that he is a sinner, he was required to make a sacrifice of bull for himself before he could ever dare stand before God who is holy on behalf of people who are not. It was required that on that mercy seat, as the priest would begin his duties on that day, that he would take the blood of that bull that was sacrificed for him and flick it right there on the mercy seat. That mercy seat that stood between the righteous law of God on the inside and the cherubim on the top, the blood would make atonement. But you see, remember, the priest was ministering on behalf of the people. So as the sacrifice would be made that day, as the nation would gather once a year on Yom Kippur, on the day of atonement, right there on the mercy seat, the priest, remember, his hands were soaked with blood. The priest would take the blood that was sacrificed for the people and on the mercy seat. Saints. The Ark of the Covenant was considered holy for no small reason. Inside the Ark was every reason why every single one of us should be condemned because we fall short of the glory of God, of the straight edge of God's truth and His holiness. And hovering right on top are God's holy angels who are more than ready to execute whatever God tells them to do. But in between that, in between those two, once a year, there would be blood. And that is where and how and why holy God could and would meet with people that are sinful. But as Susie read, well, we all read earlier on, The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. Day after day, year after year, in the Hebrew Scriptures, you have this complex, detailed system of worship. And the pages in your Bible are soaked and stained with blood. We dare not minimize what this is all about, why it had to take place. And ultimately, if Jesus is the Lamb of God and Jesus laid down His life, that was absolutely necessary. Now let's go back to the ark. I want to show you just one passage. If 
you care to turn there, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Remember the ark had those poles on it so that it could be transported when necessary. This is the account of David, King David, bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. There's something here that is so significant we dare not quickly overlook it. Beginning in verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Why? Because the ark was coming to Jerusalem. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, or Uzzah, put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the ark, the ox, had stumbled. So picture this. All the people are gathered round. They are celebrating, rejoicing. They're worshiping. This is a happy time. The ark is coming back. This is the presence of God coming back to Jerusalem. And a very attentive guy right nearby notes that the ox has stumbled. And therefore, the cart is going like this. And therefore, the ark itself is about to fall off into the ground. And he does the most natural thing ever. He reaches out to stabilize it. To stop it from falling. Because it's holy. But keep reading. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. There were strict instructions never, ever touch the ark of the covenant. And when a well-meaning individual in a moment of perceived need did what would be natural, reached out his hand to stabilize, to make sure the ark does not fall on the ground. Well, that was the last thing he ever did. He died right there. Now notice how David responds. David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah or Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark ever come to me? You know what David was confronted with? In that moment, the holiness of God. This is an aspect that we must absolutely understand clearly. 
The late R.C. Sproul made a profound statement. He said, notice in scripture, it does not say that God is love, love, love or grace, grace, grace. It says that God is holy, holy, holy. This is why the pages on your Bible are stained with blood. God is holy and we are not. All throughout the Old Testament, this well-developed system of worship that included blood sacrifices is in place. And all of it, all of it, looks forward to that day when John the Baptist would see Jesus coming over and said, that's him, that is the Lamb of God who would lay down his life once. And the effect, as Scripture says, was eternal redemption. We will continue to to develop this next week as we look at the Old Testament and as we walk into the New Testament because we're answering the question, why did Jesus die? Jesus died because God is holy. Jesus died because we are not. We are sinful. Jesus died To reconcile sinful people with God who is holy. Jesus died because God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. On the surface, particularly in a church, it seems like the most obvious. There's an obvious answer to the question that we have posed the last few weeks. But I'm determined to dig a little deeper to make sure that we all understand it fully and completely. Not only for our own sake, but when speaking to others. Because as we know, in our day and age... The truth of God is compromised. It is diminished. It is sidestepped. But the death of Christ, its purpose, its meaning, could not be woven any more deeply, any more beautifully into the fabric of the entire Word of God from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. I hope and I pray that not only will you gain confidence and understanding, not just giving an answer, but understanding that this literally is all of God's word speaking to one thing. But I pray more and more that you would be convinced and persuaded in your mind and in your heart how deeply God loves you. How much he loves you. The death of Christ is so often spoken of in terms 
of the love of God. I'm praying that will be a big benefit for us in the next couple of weeks as we continue to talk about it. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for his obedience. Thank you that he laid down his life for us. Thank you that he fully and completely stood and took upon himself your wrath, your holy wrath on sin. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life, which is only found in Christ. When we place our entire confidence and trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. As we always pray, if there is but one person who has not understood that, for whom it is not clear, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the rich testimony of your word. Thank you how all of it points directly, directly to Christ. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.